Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 310 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week, your friend and mine, and the author of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds, Chris Garber. How are you, Chris? Well, let's make make it clear I'm the author of the odd-numbered pages only. Exactly. It was a really... I don't know why we decided to do it that way. That was a strange way to structure that book. <laughs> it was tricky. It was tricky. <laughs> My first idea was we just alternate words. And that, that, would, <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't have worked. Uh, no. So... Uh, I do have actually a big 50 story to tell as we start here, but we've got some good uh, spring training discussion coming up. Pitchers and catchers reported, obviously, this week, and uh, everybody's kind of excited about the Reds, and we're going to get excited in just one moment. But uh, tonight I was uh, performing my duties as a father, as I do occasionally. My daughter had a performance at the school that I went to uh, to enjoy, and I got a text while I'm there. And the uh, text was from a buddy of mine. It says, uh, hey, can I get two copies of uh, of the book signed? I said, sure, whatever. And then in his next uh, text is, I'm having dinner with Jeff Reed. Jeff Reed? <laughs> Former backup catcher? Yes. Jeff Reed? Yes, Jeff Reed. Um, this was completely random. And, and then he sends me a picture of they're having like a, a an auction, a silent auction. This guy's son plays for some, uh, he's a really good baseball player, and he plays for a, a school um, near where, Jeff Reed's from Elizabethton, Tennessee, and that the school's evidently near there. And they were having like a, a silent auction or something and uh he was sitting with jeff reed and and then he sends me this picture he's he was bidding on uh catching gear worn by jeff reed during the 1990 world series year and uh it's you know it's a uh, the chest protector and the shin guards the mask and a, and a pair of cleats so so jeff reed hung on to this stuff for 30 years and now is ready to to part with it. Or he went down to Dick's Sporting Goods and <laughs> picked up a set and <laughs> dragged it around the driveway for a little bit. Right. It looks stuffed up. Yeah, it really does. The picture looks like uh, like uh, you know what he would have worn back then, and and the cleats are made by Pony, so that's pretty Ooh. impressive. Pony I mean, Pete Rose. I mean, Pete Rose a Pony guy for a while. Oh well, I don't even need to know what that means. Um, the dog face <laughs> Pony Soldier. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, somebody used that term to me I before I'd heard, well, I, we're not going to get into that, but uh, yeah. um, anyway, later on in the evening, I'm, I'm sitting there watching and he says, I'm the proud owner of catching gear now. So he won the, maybe I'll get a chance to view this. Uh, you think he traded it for two copies of the big 50? Uh, may, oh, maybe that's what he was suggesting. You think? I hope so. I hope so too, but I'm not, uh, not going to count on it, but hey, that'd be an even trade as far as that's I'm a, concerned. That, that really improves our... Uh... Improves yeah, really. our market value of our book, really. Yeah, really, it's impressive. Uh, yeah. um, it's like those questions you always, you always see. The, he had a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen oh two, and that's worth you know seventy billion dollars today. Right. Two thousand twenty value of the Big Fifty is Jeffrey catching gear. It's right. It's much be- more valuable than it was in two thousand eighteen. Well, it was Eddie Toppinsy catching gear at that time, if you remember. <laughs> I don't know. The pitchers right. and catchers have reported to spring training, Chris. Are, uh, usually I'm pretty excited by this news, and, and I guess this year, I, I don't know. I, I'm worried. I'm kind of worried. Uh, I mean, a worry wart, I guess. The Reds are supposed to be good this year, or at least better, and uh, we've had our hopes up so many times. Is, is that the wrong uh, perspective to take as pitchers and catchers report to Goodyear, Arizona? Well, so what you're telling me is that because the Reds might be good for a change, you have you're less excited about spring training than you are normally. I think I'm just more afraid of being uh, let down. In the past, I would expect the Reds to be good and I'd be optimistic, but kind of in the back of my you know head, I was like, well, you know, they're probably not going to be. Uh, this year, they still might not be, but everyone kind of expects them to be, and it's a weird situation to me. It's been a while for us as Reds fans. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not uh nervous yet. I'm uh I don't know, expecting good things, but uh we've had disappointments before, so baseball is fun in any event. There you go. There you go. Thank you for uh shaming me for my angst over I was the, trying uh, to talk you back down. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's what I, what I counted you for. Uh, so we're not the only ones that are kind of excited about the Reds. It's been one of the most interesting off seasons since I've been a Reds fan, 
which is 72 years now I've been a Reds fan. And this is one of the most interesting winters we've ever had. And um, news came out this week. It's not really news, I guess. But baseball perspectives every year, they have their Pocota projections. And they came out with their projection system this year. And they projected the Reds as the uh, most likely winner in the National League Central. Uh, had the Cubs uh, at second. And uh, I think Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates was the way it went. So, But had the Reds as the most likely winner of the National League Central. And I did project them to finish just 86 and 76, which actually seems pretty reasonable to me. But it projects the Cubs at 85 wins and, and, and so on. But they they run these projections, the, the simulations, like a bunch of times. And the Reds are projected to win the National League Central 47.3% of the time and make the playoffs in 60 66% of the simulations. Now, that's a little bit matrixy for some of you. I understand. <laughs> but what do you think about the fact that the Reds are actually, in some respects, the favorite in the National League Central? I mean, you can make that argument. That's pretty cool. You know, that's pretty cool. I, uh, I've i certainly felt and said on this radio program before that uh, I believe the rest of the division has gone backwards, and, uh, and the Reds have gone quite a bit forward. So I, sounds right to me. Yeah, I mean, 86 sounds about the neighborhood where I kind of feel like they are, but I think that, you know, they could be go up to 91, 92, or they could drop back to, you know, 77 or something, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's projections. You, you can take your Pocota projections and a dime and get a cup of coffee in 1898. I'm not sure that's how that <laughs> phrase goes. I don't know. I like it. Um, but, you know, it's just a projection. But most of the time, well, last year the Reds were pretty good in the projections and uh, didn't end up uh, doing so well. Uh, so I don't know. It, reasons for more reasons for me to worry, I guess. Being being a worry wart, as my mother would say. She's oh, by the way the only listener to this podcast. Hello, Mrs. D. So anyway, um, eighty six and seventy six. I'm not quite sure that gets you to the a division championship, but maybe it, because I think you may be right. Everybody else has kind of moved back, haven't they? Yeah, I I, uh, I, I think eighty. I mean, they they all moved back a bit, but. Other than the Pittsburgh Pirates, I don't know that any team's going to be actively bad in the NL Central. So I think there will be kind of a, a cluster in that 76 to 86 win zone. Yeah, I could see so many different Reds scenarios. Have a good shot there. Yeah, you know, um, I could see four teams really be fighting all year long. I could. That's not unreasonable at all. I could see one team, any of those four, getting hot at the right time and kind of taking control of, of the division. So I, I don't know what to expect. I just like the fact that the Reds are actually in the mix and everyone kind of agrees with that. Uh, some other news uh, from the week and really not a ton of real news. One big piece of news off the off the top here. Eugenio Suarez. Now, I know that you are a fan of Eugenio Suarez, Chris, in, in particular. He's your favorite current starting third baseman for the Reds. I know this because we've discussed it. True. Uh, the news uh, got an update on his condition. You know, he had the uh, the shoulder surgery uh, from a, a cannonball in the pool gone awry. And he, uh, a lot of speculation he wouldn't be ready for opening day. The latest update is that uh, he's recovering well, surgery went well, and it's realistic is the quote. It's realistic that he could be ready to play on opening day. That's pretty big news, it seems like to me, because we have all these scenarios where what are the Reds going to do while he's gone and you know moving people around? And I was looking forward to seeing what happens, but I'd rather have Suarez. I would support that. I would <laughs> rather have him too. I threw it to you to, for you to say Suarez is good. That's that's not a very good host of me. I didn't really give you anything to discuss there. Um, <laughs> but the thing I did want to discuss with you is something that Jason uh, Linden and I discussed last week. We were talking about our pre-spring training projections for the roster. And, and we did one projection, then the other projection was, well, what if Suarez is not ready? And and my suggestion was Senzel at second, Mustakas at third, and uh, you know maybe you keep uh, both Phil Irvin and Aristides Aquino in the outfield in, in that circumstance. Do uh, you have any thoughts on what the Reds should do if he's not ready for opening day? Say, say he's going to be three weeks or a month out. What, how, how would you structure the roster oh. to cover that? All right, so here's, here's what I think about that. Um, I don't think there's the only way they're going to move Nick Senzel to the second base is if someone came to them today and said that uh, Suarez is out until the middle of May. And and that's I think that's the problem with that scenario is there's knowing how this stuff goes. Any 
delay of Suarez's return is going to be in one week at a time news. You know what I mean? He's going right. to be almost yeah. back. He's yeah. going to work out. Oh, he had a setback. Oh, he's going to try baseball activities. Okay, they're going to rest him a week. It's never going to be long enough where they say, you know what, let's move let's move Sinzel over there and get him up to speed and, and give him some time to, to work out at second base. So for that reason, I think you're more likely to see like Josh Van Meter or Derek Dietrich make the team and play second base and just move Moustakas over there. Yeah, yeah. If it's a short-term thing, you're you're probably right. Uh, we'll, we, maybe we'll get a, a bit of a clue to see where Senzel's working out this spring. By the way, the news from this week as well is that Senzel is absolutely doing well and should be uh, good to go after his shoulder surgery. Uh, I like that you referenced the possibility of a uh, Nick Massett slash Sean Marshall uh, memorial setback in the recovery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we yeah. got one more week. That's it. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just I feel like. I feel like you weaken your lineup uh, a little bit if, by not being able to, you know, put in a guy. I was thinking Josh Van Meter, but the other news this, from this week's one of the other uh, items of news is that Derek Dietrich did sign a minor league contract with the Reds, and he'll get a, an invite, uh, has an invite to major league spring training. So Dietrich is back. Yeah, under your scenario, I was suggesting they keep Sinzel on the infield temporarily, and that solves at least early in the year this clog in the outfield by allowing them to keep both Irvin. And Aquino, but under your scenario, one of Irvin and Aquino has to go uh, in the outfield. I think if I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but and then Dietrich takes that spot at least temporarily. So I think unless unless they do something where they somehow sacrifice a backup infielder to have that 16th outfielder on the roster. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just feel like they're really hesitant to. Move Nick Senzel to the infield. I, 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 I think that's absolutely what all the evidence has shown that they want to put him in center field and uh, or in the outfield at least, but certainly in center field and let him stick there uh, for as long as possible. But you know, David Bell did make one stray comment after uh, Castellanos, Nick Castellanos, was signed, and uh, that suggested that Senzel could see some time on the infield. That made me think. Well, maybe, but there's nothing that the Reds have ever done that made me think it's a realistic possibility and uh you know i had an opportunity um to speak to nixon's I, I mentioned this on the podcast i had an opportunity to speak to him for a piece that i'm writing for cincinnati magazine and um he and this was this was before they had signed akiyama when i talked to him and he said the reds basically told him center field we want you to have a place to concentrate on coming into a spring for the first time because they've shifted him around to four different positions in the last four years and uh, he 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 liked that he liked having some certainty about what he needed to be working on. And now maybe that certainty is not there for him. I don't know. We'll see when they uh, start playing some games, I guess. Who, who do you keep in the outfield if you are making this roster? Here's who, here's what, what I proposed was I actually send Irvin out. I keep uh, Senzel, Akiyama, Castellanos, Winker, and Aquino. And then you can, you know, mix and match uh, with that group. Uh, you, you keep Irvin over Aquino. I think it probably comes down to that. No, I don't. I, I was. I thought. I thought I was going to be the one disagreeing with you there, because I. I think I'm the same way. I'm probably low man on Philip Irvin. Uh, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. He did a good job last year, but uh, I. I just don't see what is proven by sending Aristides Aquino back to AAA. And he's the guy. Like I said before, he's the guy who's, who could win an MVP. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know if I don't know if I want to say that, but you're right. What's the ceiling on him, and what's the ceiling on, on Irvin? And if you're looking for a situation where you're trying to do a timeshare out there, Irvin is adequate. He reminds me of Bill McNeil from the old news radio show, where he celebrated being named adequate, and he he, he bathed in his adequacity, or something like that. Uh, there's a little '90s uh, sitcom reference for you there, Bill Chris. McNeil. Bill, the real deal with Bill McNeil. Um, the first time I ever sung on the podcast, right there. Rocket fuel, malt liquor. <laughs> oh, man, what a great show. If you haven't seen that show, that is one of the funniest shows. That's one of the five funniest sitcoms in the history of the medium. But, uh, yeah, I think that we, you and I are probably certainly in the minority uh, with respect to Urban versus Aquino. I just, I don't see the, I think Urban would be fine. I don't mind having him. <laughs> you know, if he's just hitting against left-handed uh, pitchers, okay. 
you know, he's he's athletic. He's not a great defender, but he's athletic. But with Aquino, I just I don't know. I, I like having that bat off the bench. And if you're just yeah. and if you're looking to do a timeshare, he just has a much higher ceiling than Philip Urban. And I don't think you give up anything defensively. I think Aquino is a better defensive player, or at least uh, not worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess if if they're not if neither one of them is going to really play, if it's going to be your fifth or sixth outfielder. Then uh, you know maybe maybe I can I can buy let Aquino have some at bats in Louisville, but if you're going to get one of these guys actually on the field somewhat frequently, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be Aquino. I'd rather have 350 at bats of Aquino or whatever he would get in a in a part time role than have him in AAA for what reason? I mean, uh, you know, I guess let him play regularly. Is he going to get better? Maybe I don't know. They're, they they know better than me, but uh, that's the way I would go. Now, the other uh, bit of news that came out, uh, I think just today, maybe yesterday, uh, Tucker Barnhart, he's the uh, one of the Reds' catching duo, and he has decided that he's officially giving up switch hitting. We talked for years about whether Billy Hamilton should do that, and I think we came to the conclusion that Billy Hamilton should stop hitting from the left side, and also he should stop hitting from the right side of the plate. <laughs> Start running. <laughs> just go ahead and run. Just run first and see what happens. Yeah, it could happen. Um Tucker Barnhart was taking uh, batting practice today against a left-handed uh, pitcher, batting practice pitcher, and he was hitting left-handed. And so uh, he officially confirmed that, yeah, he's done with right-handed hitting, which is probably a pretty good idea because uh, I think his uh, in the majors, his uh, slash line from the right side of the plate, 220 batting average, 297 on base, 296 slugging. I mean, at some point, you know, he's uh, he's adequate from the other side of the plate. To the left hand side of the play. What took him so long? And I guess I know it gives you some uh, flexibility if you can play both and uh, maybe help you make some money at some point. But if you can't actually hit from the from the right side of the plate, I'm not sure it helps you any. So yeah, that yeah. And technically speaking, those are those are not exactly his numbers as um, against right-handed pitching because he did try five times to bat lefty against left-handed pitching. <laughs> How do you do in those five? Uh, oh, for five with two strikes. Oh, well, that's not encouraging. So, yeah, not so much. Yeah, but, I mean, he's a but you you put him against against right-handed pitching. Yeah. And he's a, you know, 258, 336, 391 hitter. That's that's oh, yeah. legit. That's legit. Absolutely. And, and now if you got more of a, a, a strict platoon with him and Kirk Casale cuz Casale is right-handed, you know, I think that's uh that's not a bad. That's not a bad platoon. It won't be a straight platoon. I'm sure Casale uh, will get some time against right-handers as well, uh, but because there's so many more of them. But I don't know. That's I wanted them to upgrade that position, but that, I'm talking myself into being okay with that just because I don't see that many catching tandems around the league that are that much better than Casale and Barnhart. Or am, am I wrong about that? Am I just liking yeah, our guys more? I mean, I, I think you're you're liking your guys a little bit. I mean, they've had. They've had better kind of platoon type combos, you know, back in the day when when David Ross was around or Ramon Hernandez or, and Ramon uh, Hernandez, Brian yeah, Hannigan. Brian Hannigan. I mean, they've had they've had better combinations, but but these guys are going to be what they're going to be. I mean, there's, there's no uh, Johnny Bench ain't walking through that door. <laughs> That's uh, he and might. He's not walking through that door. Uh, oh, Eddie Top. Now Top is he could hit. We'll give him that. I um compared him unfavorably to Jeff Reed for some reason earlier. Now, think about that. That's not really a great comparison. Uh, Jeff Reed was a fine backup catcher, but, you know, I don't know. I just I don't see that many catching uh, tandems around the league that are that great. And I'm not suggesting that ours is that great, but maybe the word of the day, of course, is is adequate. Maybe they can be adequate. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that they won't be the worst catchers in the league. What's a low bar to cross? Um... What did you think about Dietrich coming back? What it said to me was, just like last year, there is no market for Derek Dietrich. I mean, he's a fun guy. Love that guy. but uh, yeah. And he was good for a couple months. But I would have... Yeah, I I remember that sad that sad uh, prediction I made last like June that he was going to get hit by a pitch more than he hit home runs the rest of the year. And I was kidding. <laughs> and you were Derek. right. <laughs> I was joking around, Derek. Didn't, didn't mean you really do it. Yeah, yeah. Even after, I mean, I guess the, for the full season, he was about a league average hitter, you know, three twenty eight on base, four sixty two slugging. But yeah, that's not how you want to get to it, is it? <laughs> it's not. I mean, he was amazing <laughs> for two months and then awful for the rest of the year and then hurt. Uh, I don't know. I just he seems like a pretty good, somewhat flexible bench guy that you can play around the league, around the diamond a little bit anyway. 
and he's got some pop. And for two straight years, he's no one's been very interested in his services. And uh, maybe it's just because he can't really play defense that well, and there's no real place to to put him. I don't know, but I'm glad to have him back, just because he's fun. Supposed to be fun. Yeah, I right? guess he is fun. He guess he's fun. He, I, I, I kind of got. Uh, maybe it's because he wasn't hitting anymore, and I was kind of like, "All right, let's, yeah, let's tone, tone down the costumes." <laughs> he hit some more home runs. It wore a little thin. You didn't like when he uh, mimicked being a a beekeeper on the field. Come on, I think I like that. You know, I've got a soft spot for bees inside the Red Stadium. Ooh, so you are the expert on uh, on bees inside the Red Stadium. I know. You know, beekeeping is a, is a, is the a kind of job that should have a different name. You know, like a, a stamp collector is a philatelist. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Someone who make you know call somebody a barrel maker. You call him a cooper. Well, there ought to be a, a another name. Maybe there is. I just don't know it. But there ought to be a name for a beekeeper. There should be. I watched a good uh, documentary about beekeeping. Oh, was it the one with all the kids? Where oh, they oh. Uh, they all practice their words and and then they they have to say them in front of the. That is a great documentary. But no, unfortunately, it was not a spelling bee. Oh. Uh, there is a good spelling bee documentary. Uh, what's that one called? Spellbound. That's a really good one. About fifteen years old. Now I watched one that it's uh, it was nominated for uh, best foreign film or that's best international film, whatever it's called now, and uh, best documentary at the Oscars this year. And I know you listen to my Oscars podcast, Chris, so you already know this, but it's called Honeyland. It's, a, it's this uh, this woman in Mas- North Macedonia who uh, kept bees, and it was amazing, amazing documentary. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Well, you're the bee guy. Oh, they are. All right. I just researched this. They are called an apiarist. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they have something like called that, an though. apiary, I believe it's called. I don't know how I'm pronouncing it right, but. Did you see that other documentary about bees? Um, bee movie? <laughs> I don't know that that's a documentary, Chad. Oh, that was not a documentary. It's oh. a dramatization. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, there you go. Jerry Seinfeld is not actually a bee. Really? What is he? He is an aging uh, baseball fan. He is that. Uh, he's kind of a baseball fan. He's a fan of the Mets. So Derek Dietrich's back. I, I don't, don't see any way. I'm not sure he cracks this roster. It, like I said, it's a minor league invite. Um, or a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. Do you I t- don't know. What, well, what if he, I mean, I kind of, this is what I kind of worries me or whatever. But Derek Dietrich, if he hits 400 in this spring, he's going to make the team. I guess. And who do you, but who do you have him on the team over? I guess maybe Van Meter? It's Van Meter if he's got a shot. Hell, they might put or, him on there ahead of uh, Blandino. Or Blandino or Kyle Farmer. I think Kyle Farmer's probably close to a lock. Yeah, I think for, so. For whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought Dietrich did a, all, the, you know, all the antics. That's what, the, what we're talking about, antics, last year. You know, a guy that's trying to get a fan base to love him and, uh, you know, maybe secure a future in a city. I thought it was pretty smart from a business standpoint. Uh, if he just hit decent the rest of the season, he's probably guaranteed on this team. And now we're kind of talking, well, maybe, maybe not, but, uh, yeah, he's fun. I guess <laughs> last 57 games he played last year, he hit. Oh, 99. Well, back to the topic of Billy Hamilton. That's right. He hit two home runs, but here you go. Trivia time. He hit. We talked about your prediction. He hit two home runs in the last 57 games of the year. How many times was he hit by pitches? I don't know, eight? Wrong. I mean, two home runs, 12 total hits, including the home runs, hit by 17 pitches. <laughs> his on-base percentage, oh. he, he hit 099, but his on-base percentage was 283. The man, uh, the man knew his strengths and his limitations. He leaned into his strengths, I guess, right? Yeah. There we go. Uh, Sal Romano, we talked last week, Jason Lennon and I, about Sal Romano was designated for assignment because the Reds needed his 40-man roster spot for right-handed reliever Pedro Strope. You had a really bad uh, Pedro Strope-related uh, joke on Twitter this week. By you way. didn't like that? I, I, I approved of it. Really clever. <laughs> it was pretty clever. Uh, you want to recreate it or make it? Oh, you, were, you guys were talking about hope is not a strategy. And I started thinking, and then he taught Pedro Strope. His name is Strategy Hope. <laughs> Strope. So at some in some games this year, Strope will be a strategy. Yeah, it'll be like Strope. the strategery. Ooh, strategery. Um, so Sal Romano was designated for assignment, and 
Jason and I both expected someone to claim him. He's got a live arm. He's relatively young. Um, I could see him being a fifth starter for somebody, you know, the, the, the Marlins or somebody. I, yeah, I don't know. Or at least in somebody's bullpen. And he throws 98. But uh, no one uh, no one claimed him on waivers. And so the Reds uh, retain him, and he's outrighted to AAA Louisville. And I think that really uh, – and the Reds also extended him an invitation uh, to big league spring training as a non-roster player. It's Sal Romano. We're not talking about Pedro Martinez here or Luis Castillo or – uh, name your good pitcher here, but I like keeping that kind of depth in the in the organization. I'm, sure, I'm okay with it. Sure. So I want to. I, I do have a question here, though, about this idea of extending invitations, and, and and I don't really know what the import of that is. I mean, I feel like they could always just grab a guy from one field and say, "Come on over here today. We want to do something." So, so maybe they get better meal money or or uh, some kind of a, a deal when they're invited to big league camp. But do you think that they actually extend an invitation, like a, a written, engraved, kind of like a wedding? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Cincinnati Reds cordially invite you and a guest. <laughs> yeah. Plus one. Oh. Plus one. Please RSVP. Like, Sour has got to pick fish or chicken. <laughs> right. He's got to select oh, his meal. Oh, I like this. I like this idea. I hope there are actual engraved invitations, and I want to see those. If not, I think they should, should be. do this. They definitely should do this. <laughs> they set them apart. They'd get all they'd get all the minor league uh, you know free agents uh, out there right. just you know they're, they're they're a classy organization I love it I'm never gonna be able to say extended an invitation to uh, big league spring training without thinking of that again so thank you for that great time now the other uh, big news before we get into a little bit of uh, viewer mail and this was extremely big news Shogo Akiyama you've heard of Shogo Akiyama he's uh, the Japanese uh, player who's um, coming to America for the first time. And uh, you know he's got Japanese media following around everywhere, and of course a lot of uh, uh, local media as well because this is a big deal—the first uh, Japanese player to play uh, for the Reds—and uh, he's a pretty good player as well. And so he steps into the cage his first day. Pitchers and catchers are there, and he comes in to hit. A lot of the Reds' uh, position players have already reported as well. He steps into the cage, takes a little practice swing. The bat and practice pitcher delivers, and Akiyama swings and misses. He absolutely whiffed on his first batting practice pitch in the States. And I was ready to void the contract at that point. Is that drastic? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a bit of an overreaction, but, you know. <laughs> maybe. You do you. <laughs> uh, he kind of stepped out of the box and kind of laughed about it and uh, I think was embarrassed. But uh, he started roping pitches all over the place after that. But Shogo Aki, Akiyama, you know, a lot of uh, coverage here in the early days of spring training about Meeting his new teammates and uh, uh, good uh, good uh, picture of him and, uh, and and Suarez talking and then uh, and also if you haven't seen any of the pictures Suarez is there and he's and he's uh, you know he's smiling in every picture because he's Eugenio Suarez but man you got to go if you haven't seen it go look at his hair it's glorious it's still white but it's just <laughs> not white in the I, way that mine's turning white and, and I think you ought to look at that pitch that Akiyama this the swings that Akiyama's putting in that batting cage. Because they're probably the worst swing I've seen a major league hitter take since, I don't know, Bernie Carbo in the 1975 <laughs> World Series. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you also have to consider he's probably jet lagged still. He looked like he was a right-handed batter in the left-handed <laughs> oh. batter's box. Or, or as we call it, uh, Tucker Barnhart. Um, no, no. Oh. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We got a good question about Akiyama later, so we're going to talk about him a little bit. And, and uh, I'm terribly excited about Shogo Akiyama, mostly because man, it's fun to say Shogo Akiyama. That's oh, great. It's the new uh, Lisa Alberto. Going to be Shogo. Uh, let's answer some viewer mail questions, shall we, Chris Garber? Let's do it. Uh, these, tone as always, uh, what's that? Said as Tone Loke once said, "Let's do it." <laughs> oh man. Tone Loke, really? Before we get into viewer mail, uh, Chris, I got to give uh, our listeners a peek behind the curtain. Um, before we started recording, somehow we uh, engaged in a conversation about one Charles Nelson Riley. I mean, you say somehow, but the truth of it, folks, is that every Thursday, Chad and I hop on the phone and talk for 35, 40 minutes about 
famed uh, actor and comedian Charles Nelson Riley. And usually this the- was our normal conversation. <laughs> just happened to be recording a podcast after it. You sold me out. I didn't want anybody to know that particular uh, element of my personality, but thank you. Um, usually it devolves into a really in-depth discussion about Match Game, the uh, great uh, NBC game show that ran in the uh, late 60s, mid to late 60s, and then came back in the 70s uh, and was a major success when it came back in the... Didn't uh, they have it out last year? Oh, it's back, I think. Yeah, I've not watched it. Alec Baldwin? Oh, is it Alec Baldwin, really? I think it is. He doesn't have... I'm not sure if he received Gene Rayburn's two-foot-long microphone or not. (laughs) Gene Rayburn, the best uh, host of any game show ever. And, uh, yeah, that... Man, that uh, microphone... It kind of uh, was a predecessor before uh, Bob Barker became famous for his ridiculous microphone. But, man, I'm, I'm all in for Gene Rayburn. So, um, anyway, Charles Nelson Riley, I learned, uh, I've learned here recently, Chris, that you are a huge fan of Charles Nelson Riley. Is this true big or not fan. true? Big fan. Big fan. I was a, a big match game watcher as a kid. And, uh, well, Charles Nelson Riley was a unique character. He was, uh, as we used to say, a flamboyant uh, performer. Yeah, uh, and uh, he was as entertaining as can be. Oh, and he, he was also the most famous person to share my birthday at the time. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, uh, you want to know who mine so, is? Who is it? Reds related. I've got two Reds related uh, birthday shares: Brandon Phillips and Nixon Zell. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, huh? Yeah, that's very good. I've uh, since I've grown up a little bit. The uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus and uh, Patrick Dempsey also Ooh. share my birthday. Nice Liam Liam Hemsworth, which I think is the Thor guy. No, I think that's Chris Hemsworth, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know my who's my uh, who's Lee, is Liam Hemsworth. Did you make that up? I think there's a Liam Hem Hem Hemsworth. I don't know. He's a brother, so apparently he's Thor's brother, but not the ah not. Thor's brother. So Loki, yeah. <laughs> little comic book uh, reference for you there, listeners. I'm a big gotcha. comic book fan. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, no, oh, this was a guy. He was in uh, The Hunger Game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, anyway. Wait, wait, hold on. i got to tell you mine. Kawhi Leonard. Oh. Ooh. Charlemagne the God. Whoever that is. Colin Jost, mm-hmm. who is punching way above his uh, weight class. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. What's that all about? Um, who else is there? There's uh, somebody else here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm scrolling Dab, to find out. Dabney who. Coleman. Dab, is that true? Please tell me that's true. I just I was hoping it is. Oh man, I, we're gonna say yes. Dabney Coleman. So, but back to Match Game because that's the purpose of this podcast. If you've not seen Match Game '73 or whatever you know they called it, they changed the name every year back then. But um, <laughs> that was the funniest. And yes, Charles Nelson Riley was. Absolutely, the most amazing panelist on that. Uh, I mean, there were some other good ones. Richard Dawson was fantastic. Uh, oh, he was. What was the name of? Uh, uh, was it uh, Brett Summers? Brett Summers, yeah. Oh, Brett Summers. Gosh. There uh, was a Betty White was on there quite a bit. Yes, Fanny Flag. <laughs> <laughs> that show was so good. <laughs> that show was amazing. Very, uh, very racy humor. It was, but Charles it's Nelson Riley stood above everyone else, right? Yeah, he was. You know, there was a whole stretch on that show. So Charles Nelson Riley had a nice. Nice head of hair, but it turned out the whole thing was a wig. Oh, see, I didn't know that. And there was one stretch of the show where his wig had been, at least this is what they, they kind of said, his wig had been sent to uh, to New York for some sort of uh, some, some sort of refinement or something. I don't know what. So he was, he was forced to appear in the show wearing hats for the... <laughs> Really, for for a few days of uh of match game episodes where he was wearing a hat that he wouldn't take off his head. He's one of the funniest uh, people that ever lived. Uh, just a brilliant, uh, funny just, guy. Yeah, yeah. There's a show. Uh, I mean, he was he had a really. I'm going to get too much Charles Wilson Riley. I'll save that for my CNR podcast. <laughs> yeah, we need to have a a match game slash Charles Nelson Riley podcast. Yeah. Maybe for Patreon uh, subscribers. Yeah, when he was a kid, he, there was like a circus fire. <laughs> That he was in, like he was a kid at the circus, and the tent burned down, and it killed like, like many many people. That's not funny at all. No, no. So he never, like he he never uh, again attended like any kind of a show, which is odd because he was you know a performer right on yeah. Broadway and everything, but he never like went in the audience because he was afraid of. Wow. Yeah. That's There's a movie dark. that 
Yeah, there was a movie right before he died called Life O'Reilly, which is kind of a part of a stage show that he did and like a one man show and, and then some stuff at his house. But uh, really interesting guy. And uh, his best friend uh, as and an adult was uh, the actor Burt Reynolds, <laughs> kind of a real uh, odd couple. Hold on. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm not lying. Burt Reynolds, was, they were best friends. And it. And Burt Reynolds, you know, lived in uh, down in Florida, kind of in the South Florida area, and he he built a theater, like a pretty pretty famous theater for the area, and uh, you know, I don't know if he did it just for this, but he invited uh, Charles Nelson Riley to move to Florida and teach acting classes, and he did it. Oh my you know, gosh! Left Hollywood and lived in Florida for quite some time. So many people have turned off this podcast now by now, but I'm just telling you, I would give a significant portion of my net worth. To be in a room with Burt Reynolds and Charles Nelson Riley, circa you know like 1979. Oh my gosh, that would have been amazing! Incredible, Charles Nelson Riley, legend. Uh, let's get back to where we were starting to go about 30 minutes ago, which was a viewer mail. As always, actual letters from actual viewers. As Chris uh, constantly reminds me, um, Jeff Euchler asks. These questions, by the way, can be submitted uh, via at Patreon.com/slash/RedLegRadio. Support the podcast, you get a chance to ask, uh, you get priority on the questions, and uh, these are uh, some of the questions we received this week. Jeff Euchler asks, "When will we get a Red Leg Nation calendar?" I'm, th- <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a, <laughs> it gets better. Bill Lack, Mister Marsh, is that what? <laughs> I don't want to step on somebody's joke, but <laughs> oh, you're getting there. I'm thinking a shirtless Doug Gray hunched over his computer. Bill Lack in a towel chasing kids off his lawn, etc. <laughs> Jeff, this is it would it would be nice to put a face to the voices and authors. So why not put out a little more? Well, in my case, it would be putting out a little more. Um, I love it. I think this is great, Chad. I'd like to, my my suggestion for you is you're riding one of those uh, those old timey bicycles with one big wheel, <laughs> shirtless, of course. Well, if that's the theme, <laughs> that's going to be have to be the theme. Okay, so I'm riding one of those big uh, old timey bicycles. <laughs> like a straw hat. What's uh, what's your what's your month going to be? Let me think. Oh, I'm not in it. Not in no, it. you're in it. You oh, you're. I don't know what you're doing. You've got to be in it. I'm I'm peeking through the slats in a fence. <laughs> I can see Jason Lennon. He's reading some novel that's way above all of our heads, and he's got his his. his He's shirtless, of course, and has his uh, his glasses, his reading glasses, down on the tip of his nose, and just kind of right. looking dreamily at the camera. That's <laughs> he's, looking, he's looking up like they just caught his attention, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's but he's he's flexing, you know, that's Jason. Yeah, yeah. Oh mercy, I'm not sure we can top that. Oh, we may have to end this one. That's fine. No one's left listening anyways. Turn the lights off. And we, I don't know why anybody does listen. I went back and looked, and in the last twelve months. We have recorded 62 free podcasts. We're giving away for free. 62 in the last year. I mean, where are you, you going to get this kind of entertainment anywhere else? Don't answer that because there's like a million places you yeah. can get better entertainment. But <laughs> no, he's the only podcast out. <laughs> exactly. I think we are the only. It is pretty dangerous. Brian Bowdy asks, since Aladdin made both Chad and his wife's list of top movies. Wait a minute. How do you know what my wife's top movies are this year? Brian? My wife. <laughs> Aladdin made our uh, list of top movies in 2019. What are your three wishes for individual Reds players this year? I, I don't understand the structure of that question, but I love it. <laughs> oh, it's a genie. It's a genie question. I got it. Ah, there we go. Yes, I, I enjoyed the uh, Aladdin remake. Did you see that, Chris? You have young children. Did you watch it? Uh, no. I saw the one with, with uh, Robin Williams. Fantastic. I think it's I not- liked it because when the first one came out, uh, I had a younger brother who was uh, 12 years younger than me and he loved it so I watched it with him a bunch and this time you know I have kids and we watched it the, the remake and I thought it was pretty good and, and Will Smith was was fine as the genie so go watch it what are your three wishes for individual Reds players this year I'm thinking a full year of health for Nick Senzel a return to form for Joey Votto and a Cy Young caliber season for Luis Castillo says Brian and I'm not sure I can do any better than that <laughs> yeah sold <laughs> yeah works <laughs> sign me up uh, where do I sign that legislation yeah, I mean, if those three things happen, the Reds probably are, uh, you know, a ninety-win team, I think, um, or at least in the, in the neighborhood. Now, Joe Farsing asks Joe, who is legendary for asking ridiculous questions just so he can hear his name on the podcast. I respect it. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have any problems with it. His question this week: Billy Paul or Xavier Paul? 
Now, Xavier Paul, I had to look him up to make sure he wasn't Xavier Nady, because I get those guys confused. Uh, how old do you think Xavier Paul is? 44 years old. 44 years old. I would have guessed about that. You know, former Red Xavier Paul. He's 34. That is... Wow. Yeah, his career ended at age 29. Played for the Reds in 2012. I would have guessed like 2007. But you say yes. <laughs> Hit 314 for the Reds in 55 games. Decent little pinch hitter that year. In 2012, a good season for the Reds. So he was a, a key part of that uh, that good team. was done a couple years later. So uh, Billy later. Billy Paul, this is actually how we uh, got on the uh, the Charles Nelson Riley kick before we uh, went on the air. Billy Paul evidently was uh, uh, <laughs> named Paul Williams, but known professionally as Billy Paul, a Grammy Award-winning American soul singer known for his 1972 number one single, Me and Mrs. Jones. They had a thing and, uh, going on. There you go. And uh, Joe's next question was, me and Mrs. Jones versus me and Chris Negrone. <laughs> so I'm going to take Xavier Paul and Joe and Chris Negrone. <laughs> what, what do you have? <laughs> Joe. Uh, uh, I'm going to take Chris Jones, who is a, an afterthought uh, red, um, I believe, wasn't he? Was he? I'm going to take Xavier Nady and Tracy Jones. Mm, that's where I'm that's going. Good. Chris Jones played in the 1991 Reds. at 292. Wow. I wasn't that born. Is a, that is an obscure former Red, if I've ever heard of one. That is the most obscure former Red, I think. And we did really a full podcast so once about obscure former Reds. And he was so obscure, we couldn't even remember him. So. Yeah, I don't remember him. I just remember the name somehow. Yeah, very impressive. Anyway. Mike Mannix asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio. First of all, Mike Mannix, every time he asks a question, I'm going to have to stop and just, uh, you know, think about how glorious that name is. Mike Mannix. It's like it, if his name were Mike Man from Uncle. Yeah, I mean, it's better. That's better than the actual name on the Mannix uh, television program. Oh, really? Was, uh, what was Joe Mannix. Joe Mannix. Why couldn't they come up with Mike Mannix? That's much better. Well, I think the problem was the actor was was Mike Connors. So I don't think that he was able to, like, he would have gotten too confused. I guess, but he was played by Charles Nelson Riley, so I'm not sure anyone would have. Wait a minute, I don't, <laughs> don't even know what that means. Don't think so. <laughs> Mike well. Mannix has a question specifically for you, Chris. Specific, our Patreon yeah, subscribers are, are ignoring me now. Fair enough. I, I, I don't blame them. Do you have a Amer- question for Chris? Do you have an American League team you follow? I am a fellow Columbus resident. Find myself often surrounded by tribe fans. Part of what I enjoy about sports is the social aspect, being able to talk about what our teams are doing or not doing. As such, I've been tempted to adopt the Indians as my American League team, despite them sharing the same city as the Browns. Is there something wrong with me? That's the question for you, Chris. Two questions: Do you have an American League team you follow, and is there something wrong with Mike Mannix? Uh, there's ne- never anything wrong with Mike Mannix. No, I, never. I- I will take the second question first. Uh, I I think the uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. If if you are not in competition with your main team, you can you can cheer for your buddy's team or your neighbor's team or your kid's team or whatever, and it's fine. And I'm I'm not anti Cleveland Indian. I think they're you know I'm all for them doing well. I'm I'm more for them trading their best players to the Reds. Please, but. Uh, if not, that's fine. Uh, to answer the first part, if you had asked me four months ago who my favorite team was in the American League, I would have said the Houston Astros. Uh-huh. I had been uh, seduced and hooked by their uh, excellence and their excitement of their team, and now I'm very angry. And seemingly because they did things the way we've been begging the Reds to do them. You know, the analytics yeah, uh, above yeah, everything. Yeah, smarter than everybody. Right. Uh, you know, I liked I liked uh, Jose Altuve quite a bit. Sure. And I'm now I am just have a hard time with the whole deal. So uh, well, choose wisely. Choose wisely. But the good news is I, they're my B team, so I can, I can dump them. <laughs> yeah, you don't have any angst over it. Absolutely. Now, we had another question that, that we'll just follow up with that. Jacob Root asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio, have you ever handled something as poorly as the Astros handled today's apology slash media availability? <laughs> I saw the reports about this, and evidently it was pretty bad, um, But the, the way they handled all that. The, the Astros have really not covered themselves in glory, have they, in all this? 
No, and I think that I think it probably. I mean, it's obviously. You, I don't want to get too deep, but you start talking about culture, you know, whether you're at a workplace yeah. or, or whatever, and and I think a lot of that comes from the top, and. You know the the general manager is gone and the manager is gone, but the owner's still there, and uh, I think his attitude is probably the one that's that's driving the the show there. And it's kind of a yeah. You know these guys look like my kids when they're forced to apologize to somebody. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you got to go now. <laughs> right. Can I have my phone back? All right. Um. I feel, you know, I feel bad for Dusty Baker. I mean, he obviously knows what he's doing. Um, but I feel like he, and he's probably the best man they could have for this I job. I think so, but, yeah. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to take it. He's going to be a shield for those guys, I think, for the se- for all season long. And let them, as, as they said 63 times today, move forward. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you know, we criticize Dusty, certainly on this podcast, a lot. And for good reasons. But Dusty has some uh, magic dust in the regular season, and and he's a good guy, and he's likable, and people don't really truly, no one really dislikes, uh, you know, Dusty Baker the person, um, and and he's a good guy to kind of put there and cover up those mistakes maybe, and to pretend like you've moved forward. But well, and I, I mean, I I watched him; he was the only guy who sounded sincere about the whole thing. <laughs> You know, he's he's apologizing for some other guys, and he, he sounds like he's kind of broken up about it. So maybe they can, some of his decency can can rub off on them. I, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I just, uh, I don't know. The Astros, I, you know, when it, when it first came out, I was uh, underwhelmed. I was like, whatever, everybody should be cheating. The more I hear about it, the more I'm like, oh, man, they're really, you know, whoever was the, the Astros fan that did the deep dive into when they were banging on the garbage cans or whatever, and, man, it looks really bad. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I've, I've, I've come around on how bad that stuff is. Well, and then there's the, the issue of these, these buzzers or, or whatever, some kind of a device that the, uh, right. yeah, you know, some kind of a zapper that they can push from the clubhouse that says, you know, fastball's coming. And, uh, you know the, the 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 story goes that that Altuve when he hit that home run off of right. off of Chapman, and and I even at the time I said how the heck did he think slider there, but he did and he creamed it. Now you know, and the, yeah, you know, and and Maybe. I I, the, I didn't watch every bit of it today, but they say today that that they're the players seem to be scrupulously avoiding denying that they used any kind of a a gizmo. Or a gadget. I've been so complimentary of, of specifically Altuve and Alex Bregman. Yeah, I just love mm-hmm. these guys. And now you got to wonder. Well, they both came off like just yeah, just jerks today. Yeah. Um, but we didn't butt answer heads. Jacob Rube's qu- uh, question. Did Did you really use the term butthead on the podcast? Yeah, I love it. Jacob Rude's actual question was: Have you ever handled something as poorly as the Astros handled that? Oh, I'm sure I have. I handled the basketball poorly when I played basketball in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically in the, uh, the game we were playing against the the uh, team we were tied with for first place and tie game at the end of the game. And uh, this is the uh, John I. Burton Raiders we we're playing against. And I have the ball near half court and I'm trying to keep it from some guy. And I, I put it above my head and then I put it behind my head. And then the guy just uh, takes it from behind my head and goes down and dunks it to give, <laughs> to give him the lead. And we ended up winning the game. But at that time I thought, Whoops. My coach is going to Bob Knight me in front of this packed house. And my, my coach had played for Bob Knight, so it wasn't unrealistic to think he might do oh that. Oh, my. Yeah, so um, anyway, uh, that's that's the most poorly I've ever handled anything. Since then, I've been perfect in every way. Joe, Fars- Joe Farsing again. Are either of you in the best shape of your life? Reminder that round <laughs> is indeed a shape. That's uh, We have not seen too many of the... Uh, the reports yet this spring about such and such is in the best shape of his life. That's the most cliche article that gets written by every single beat writer every single spring about somebody for their particular team. I'll send any of those reports just yet, but I'm not in the best shape of my life. And when no, I wasn't in the best shape of my life, I handed the ball to the other team and let them dunk it. <laughs> so I'm not sure we need to. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I try. I was at the, uh, I was at the gym last night. Uh, working on the rowing machine. Ooh. Yeah, you know, the problem is when I do the rowing machine, I get really, really sore. 
And it's it's because I continue to yank that rowing handle right into my gut. <laughs> if you just get rid of that gut, I think I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> bruised up belly because too fat to row. I was on the uh, on the elliptical yesterday, and I just every second I'm on that thing, I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't enjoy this. <laughs> I want to go watch a ball game. <laughs> Clayton Duncan asks, "What are your realistic expectations?" For Shogo Akiyama. Shogo Akiyama. Realistic expectations for Shogo Akiyama. Um, that is one of the most difficult questions I think we've ever had on uh, Viewer Mail. Because there's really no way to know. He's been really good in Japan uh, for the Cebu Lions. And I don't know how much it translates. There have been studies, and it's, you know, it... Uh, I think the way it works out, it's kind of like a, not quite triple A, maybe between triple A and the majors uh, level of, uh, maybe it's triple A, but, you know, for example, last year at age 31, he hit 303, 392, 471 slugging. If he could hit, say, 300, 360 on base, 350 on base, 440, 450 slugging, man, that's pretty good. I will take that uh, in America. That's oh, that'd be awesome. A, yeah. Can he do that? I think that's realistic. I mean that's way be- way below his uh, career numbers in uh, Japan. I don't know. You have any uh, realistic expectations? I don't know what's. Re- I know I'm the same as you. I don't know what's realistic. Yeah. I mean that sounds good. Yeah. You know. I think he will get on base. His slugging may not be as much. I do expect him to get on base, and he will help this team with uh, scoring runs because he'll be on base. But my realistic realistic expectations are that he's going to have a name this year that's really fun to say. <laughs> Nathan Connor asks, how do you rate Rob Manfred? That's the commissioner of baseball, Chris. I know you didn't know that. How do you rate Rob Manfred's winner on a scale of 1 to 10? With 10 <laughs> being Johnny Bench and 1 being Wayne Krenchicki. First of all, I think you got those flipped, I think. But, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with your scale, Nathan. Um, his rap sheet is pretty long. The minor league situation, handling of the sign-stealing, expanded playoff proposal, endorsement of the Tampa Bay Rays' sister city concept, Dot, dot, dot. That's an ellipsis. I'm forgetting something, he says. He's really unpopular, and that can't be good heading into CBA negotiations. Uh, so how do you rate Rob Manfred's winner on a scale of 1 to 10? I'll let you answer that. But I'm going to say, um, before you answer that, I'm not sure he is really unpopular. Because the only people that matter uh, for his uh, uh, unpopularity are the 30 owners around Major League Baseball. And are they unpopular? Un- is he unpopular yeah, with them? I, I, that's where my head was going to go. I don't think it matters how popular he is with fans. I mean, it kind of, you know, even going in the CBA, I mean, it kind of matters, I guess, if the, the Players Association is unhappy. But I haven't heard a whole lot of – I mean, there's been complaining. You know, Trevor Bauer has an opinion on things about <laughs> expanded playoffs. But I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of people say, you know, up in uh, – players up in arms about, oh, there's, you know, he's had a terrible winner. I He's trying to make money. That's yeah. what he's trying to do. You know, he's trying to to grow the sport and in his uh, world, grow the sport means grow the revenues. Yeah. Which it's is pretty simple. Which is what his uh, constituency wants him to do. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's doing a bad job at all. I don't as a fan, I don't like the any of the suggestions he's ha- come up with, but if that's what he's being paid to do, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that among fans, it's it's really low in terms of I'll write him up, you know, a three. The thing that I, from a fan's perspective, the thing that I don't like about Rob Manfred is that he is making me um, <laughs> long for the days of Bud Selig. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Bud Selig was the worst, the absolute worst. But at least you kind of felt like he liked baseball. I think Rob Manfred likes cash, which is probably his job, frankly. We gotta be. Yeah. We gotta be honest about that. Gosh. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, if you think about C League, C League is, is for all the faults and criticism of C League. C League is a guy who loved baseball and had money, and so he bought a baseball team. Yeah, and he kind of found himself in the commissioner's role. But Manfred's a, a career guy. I mean, he's a say it a lawyer, and oh, a guy who you know he. He worked for the 
yeah. Major League Baseball. I mean, he worked for the, I guess he worked for the Brewers first, but it was a job for him. And, and he may love baseball too, but he didn't kind of go out of his way to pay to do, to be involved in the game. Right. Yeah, I think uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, you and I could have been sealing. You know, if we'd have run into a bunch of money, we'd, I'd, I'd probably buy a team. It'd be fun. And, you know, uh, I could see that. But then again, Manfred, uh, we're both lawyers. So um, let's move on to the next question. You want to? Yep. <laughs> Hooper Powell. Our guy Hooper, Hooper Powell. You remember Hooper? You met Hooper. Sure, sure. Um, okay. Hooper asks, seeing that you had a podcast on the Oscars, did you listen to my Oscars podcast, Chris? I did not, Chad. I was uh, in Los Angeles on uh, Sunday night and Monday. Really? Yeah. Did you, uh, did you go to the Oscars? I did not. I My flight was delayed, and so I landed, and I got to the hotel to see the uh, – I'm not going to say it because it's a spoiler – the people, the uh, the gentleman collecting his uh, Best Picture trophy. Now, you can say it. I already did a whole podcast about it. I can't say his name. I don't know how to say it. Oh, there you go. Okay, Bong Joon-ho. Um, Thank you. Hooper, I seen that you had a podcast on the Oscars. Your favorite Patrick Swayze movie, Roadhouse, came to mind. <laughs> I'm not sure how you yeah. got there, Hooper, but I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. I'm okay. Fair. I was wondering. Tough but fair. <laughs> tough but fair. I was wondering which Reds player, past or present, would be your Dalton. Dalton, of course, the Patrick Swayze character from Roadhouse. Which Reds player, past or present? These questions are getting better. Cause All right. Oh, yeah, this is good. And I have an answer. I, I've had something I've been wanting to talk about, and this is my excuse. So okay. Can I answer this one first? Is, wait a minute. Is it Charles Nelson Riley? It's <laughs> not. It's okay. Not okay. So go ahead. As as I've been sitting here, I uh, was made aware of a video that's on YouTube, and this is a home video from the stands of the 1973 National League Championship Series Game Three, also known as the uh, Pete Rose Bud Harrelson fight game. And it's it's it's. I encourage anybody listening to this to once you're done. Go into YouTube and search for Mets versus Reds NLCS 1973 Game Three, and it's it's just fascinating. But there's a video of the fight, and you see Rose getting pulled out, and then you see Joe Morgan beefing at somebody, <laughs> and then you see my candidate for the Reds Dalton, Pedro Borbone, <laughs> going nuts in a oh. in a Puig or Garrett style, uh, bring the fighting the entire team uh, stunt. <laughs> So I, you know, we read about it and we'd seen tiny, tiny bits of it and still photos. But uh, this is the first time I've seen like really good video of this fracas. And <laughs> then you'll see at some point somebody has a, a Reds pennant on a stick and they light it on fire and, and it's being held up in front of the camera while the fight is still going on. There's a, a big red machine pennant just I burning into ash. I love it. Did Pedro Borbone land a roundhouse kick? <laughs> no, he did not. Oh, man. See. <laughs> Clearly, it's got to be Pedro Borbone. That's outstanding. Now, Hooper had a second question. I was wondering which Reds player, past or present. No, he, I already answered that one. Oh, gosh. I've lost control of this podcast already. Uh, go look up clips of Charles Nelson Riley. Also, uh, forgot forgot to ask, Ellis Valentine or Greg the Hammer Valentine? Now, Ellis Valentine, former baseball player, I had to look up. Uh, maybe I'm exposing something about myself. I had to look up Greg the Hammer Valentine. Do you know who that is? Of course I do. Really? Part of the Heart Foundation. Part of the what? The what is Heart that? Foundation. It was a tag team. What? With yes, Jimmy Hart was the manager, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart was the uh, was one of the wrestlers, and then and then uh, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine was one of the others. <laughs> well, I had to Wikipedia. Greg the Hammer Valentine, because I'm not a professional. Oh, Brett, Brett I'm sorry, I'm not well. a I'm not a uh, a wrestling guy. I don't whatever. If you like wrestling, great. I never knew how many people liked wrestling until I joined Twitter.com. But uh, I, I looked him up, and you've got to go to Greg Valentine's uh, page on Wikipedia because that is the best Wikipedia picture that anyone has in the history of uh, Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Greg the Hammer <laughs> Valentine. How? <laughs> So it looks pretty much like what you would imagine a a a wrestler from the mid '80s appearing at a uh, apparently some sort of Holiday Inn where there is a convention of old wrestlers. Yeah, you know, like a 
like a five by seven uh, banner hanging behind him, <laughs> saying the Did hammer. You see the phone? Did you see the phone? <laughs> oh, he has? oh no, I noticed that. It, it looks. <laughs> it's a brick. It looks like a video game that my daughter had when she was one. He's playing Tetris on that thing. I don't think he can play Tetris on that thing. No. It's only got four buttons. <laughs> Go look at this picture, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Okay, I'm glad I know about this. 2010, guy. that picture. But still, that's like not even a jitterbug. <laughs> that is amazing. It's, yeah, it's like one of the cameras, but it's also a pair of binoculars type things. This is the worst podcast ever for listeners, but it's the most fun I've ever had. So, Sorry, guys. <laughs> Andrew Scott Wills, we got to move on because we got to get out of here. Andrew Scott Wills asks, How many wins do you think the Pirates will get this season? Hash Brown actual viewer mail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say nine. Nine wins for the Pirates this season. The whole season? The whole season, yes. It's all all opponents. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do like uh like they're doing price is right and say one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You're gonna win the showcase showdown, I'm afraid. Jacob Rude, uh, we already did that one, Jacob. Sorry, I'm not gonna ask your question twice. Uh, last Patreon question, Joe Farsing again. If you were a type of underwear, what would you be? Oh my gosh. If you were a type of underwear, what would you be? I have lack as a banana hammock guy myself. And yes, and yes, I do ask dumb questions for the sole purpose of hearing my name, says Joe. What time is it? We're, we're not answering that one. One last question. This one comes from oh, two, two more questions. Uh, one comes from Philip Razor on Twitter.com slash Red Leg Radio. His question is this. He literally types out a question prints it off and signs his name. So I've got to, if you do that, I'm probably going to answer your question. Dear Red Leg Nation Radio, it's business, uh, you know, it's a business letter. With the return of Derek Dietrich on a minor league deal, what do you think of the new Wes Anderson trailer? <laughs> have, have you seen the new Wes Anderson trailer? No, what is it here? Really? Uh, you've not seen the, uh, it just came out uh, this week. Wes Anderson, of course, you know, I like Wes Anderson. Have you noticed, uh, you may have noticed that if you've listened to the podcast. Wes Anderson has a new movie out called the, uh, or it's coming out in 2020 called The French Dispatch. Of course and it is. Of course. That's a perfect name for uh, a Wes Anderson. Is, like a, is, I feel like, is there a website that like a Wes Anderson na- mo- movie name generator? <laughs> Probably. This one came, the actual full name of it is even more Wes Anderson. The French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. Oh my god! I'm looking at this trailer right now. A hundred percent guarantee this is made of clips from old Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> Someone suggested I can't remember. Who, I wish I could remember now because I could give him credit on the podcast. Someone suggested on my Twitter feed that what uh, what they did was someone fed. I think it might have been Aaron Lair actually. <laughs> someone fed all of Wes Anderson's movies into a computer and they generated a uh, you know a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, <laughs> and it does. I, the trailer looks like every Wes Anderson movie and it's the most amazing trailer I've ever seen in my life oh god I can't do it you don't like Wes I just it's it's too twee I can't (laughs) it is twee do it I'm desperately in love with every Wes Anderson movie he's my favorite movie director and it's not even close oh man I uh I gotta watch like (laughs) I gotta go watch the like the hateful eight or something after watching this trailer. <laughs> that's the other, that's the other end of the spectrum, but the grand Budapest hotel, uh, uh you, know, Moonra- you don't like it. What's someone with a train. That, that one was brutal. <laughs> oh, come on. The Darjeeling limited. Hey, we're ironic on a train. <laughs> what about the one that are ironic at a hotel or the one that they're ironic in a, a house in, uh, uh, Manhattan, which was actually in Harlem. Uh, that's the Royal Tenenbaums, the best of the West Tenen- Tenenbaums. I, I enjoyed that one. West Anderson movies. Um, we're on a a new island of New Pen- Penzance and being ironic. That's uh, what's Moon, the one with the, the kids? Kingdom. That's Moonrise like that Kingdom. One. I like that one actually. That was a good movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. They're all great. Wes Anderson is the greatest artist working in any medium today. You disagree with that? Uh, yeah, Lizzo. <laughs> well, she is one hundred percent pure. Pete Wills asks at Petro's Wills on Twitter dot com. Slash Red Leg Radio. Is it opening day yet? I'll, I'll let you take this one. Uh, checking. <laughs> Do a little no. Googling. Okay. No. <laughs> Alexa, when is opening day? Is it today? No. Sorry. Um, all right, Chris. Uh, that's that's it for today. you have any final thoughts? 
Sorry, Alexa's giving me a treatise on opening day in the background here. I heard that. <laughs> you literally asked Alexa. I was. It's in the other room. I didn't think you could hear me. <laughs> Can I tell you about the time on uh, New Year's Eve when uh, I had, we had some people over? My brother, it was when we first got uh, uh, an Amazon Echo, and my brother spent the whole evening yelling at Alexia. I mean, screaming at Alexia. He wouldn't respond, then he got madder and madder. He just kept getting madder. It was the Ah, best night of my life. That's that's fantastic. I would sit it there. Any final thoughts uh, before we end it? Go Reds. Go Reds. When's the first game on uh, television? We know know. that. Ask Alexia. (laughs) Going to. Uh, uh, Okay, I'll wait for you to do that. When is the first game on television? I don't know. It's going to be soon, probably. They they play these spring training games. Yeah, they do. All right, I give up. Yeah, Folks, go. <laughs> just Google it. Google it yourself. Ask Alexi yourself. For Chris Garber, Jeff Reed, Charles Nelson Riley, and Greg the Hammer Valentine, this is Chad Dotson saying, so long, everyone. Good. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.